This episode of Behind the Bots is brought to you by Fingertech Robotics, North America's top manufacturer of combat robotics parts. If you're interested in building your first combat robot, check out Fingertech's Viper Kit, which includes everything you need to build a fully functional, competitive ant weight. Fingertech also carries a complete line of wheels, hubs, motors, and other components if you want to build a bot from the ground up. Check them out online at www.fingertechrobotics.com. From our Tractor Supply prefab doomsday bunkers, as we await the fall of the great American experiment, this is Behind the Bots, the podcast that brings you the stories of the builders behind BattleBots. I'm Chris. I'm Luke. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Kyle. And today in the podcast, part one of our interview with the bot whisperer, Pete Abramson. We'll bring you part two next week. We'll also continue the new bot guide with six new bots, Deadlift, Fusion, Grabot, Hijinx, Jackpot, and Malice. We'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. If you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, Player, FM, and Popping. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Behind the Bots. And if you like what you hear, tell a friend. We really appreciate all of your support. Time for this week's Combat Robotics News. I have eight news items for you today. First up, mark your calendars. The BattleBot season premiere will air on the Discovery Channel on Thursday, December 3rd at 8 p.m. We even know four of the matchups to expect in the season premiere. So I was, I, I was, I was hoping that we could uh, just do a quick round of snap decisions. All right, I'm just going to read you the matchup. We'll go around. You tell me who you think is going to win, okay? Kyle, maybe I'll start with you, and then we'll go to Chris and Lindsay. All right, Bloodsport versus Scorpios. Scorpios. How about you, Chris? How about you, Lindsay? Uh, uh, Scorpios. All right. I guess I'll be the rogue here and say Bloodsport. I'm also going to go Bloodsport. Captain Shredraider versus Lockjaw. Kyle? Lockjaw. <laughs> All right. Chris and Lindsay? Uh, Lockjaw. Well, you see, I'm going to have to go with Lockjaw. I'm also going to go with Lockjaw. <laughs> All right. Next up, Whiplash versus Sawblaze. I hate this one. I hate it. I hate it. Sawblaze. Ooh, uh, Sawblaze. Um, I mean, I wouldn't be a very good Sawbay if I said otherwise, but I think it's going to be a very close match, and I'm going to go with Sawblaze. I'm going Contrarian. The Whiplads, all right? Coming out for Whiplash. And uh, finally, the main event, Tombstone versus Endgame. Wow. Um, I had to guess I'd say say it has to be tombstone but that's only because endgame's very new this year and i think they're gonna have some new bot rust to chip off and tombstone is is the same tombstone but better than last year just like it is every year i'm gonna say tombstone because Uh, i flipped a coin (laughs) kyle i think your logic is spot on there and for that reason i'm gonna have to say tombstone I am all I'm gonna go end game. All right. You ugh. listen, let's record these. Let's see who gets uh gets the most right. You know, I think December it's 3rd. because you're un American, Luke. That's <laughs> the only reason that you would go for the team not from here. I mean, that's fair. 
Uh, it appears the show is moving to Thursday nights on the Discovery Channel with two-hour episodes from 8 to 10 p.m. The network ordered 40 hours of programming, which breaks down to 20 episodes of BattleBots, which, if they run uninterrupted every Thursday night, means the show's season finale will happen on Thursday, April 22nd. Obviously, a lot of things can happen programming-wise between now and April, which means it's very important for fans to watch BattleBots live, if they can, to boost the show's ratings. There were two programming notes in the press release this week. First, the show was filmed without a studio audience, so builders filled in as the audience members, sitting in in socially distant opera boxes around the arena. Second, the show is replacing the top 16 with the top 32, and again, going with a single elimination bracket to the championship. Thoughts on uh, the many announcements coming out of BattleBots this week about the season premiere? It makes the the news hard because there's so much. Um, it's good, man. I mean, like all of the things that we've heard are fantastic news. 40 hours of programming. I cannot wait for December 3rd. I don't know about you guys. I am super stoked. Um, I am making a plan to DVR it and watch it. Like, I don't know. Last, last season, I, I bought the entire season on, on Amazon and I would watch it like at, I don't know, like the next morning just so that I could skip all the commercials. But um, I, I think this year I'm going to DVR it because I, I heard from, was it Greg or was it Trey that like when you DVR and you watch it within 24 hours, it, it counts as a, uh, as a view while streaming is maybe calculated in a different way. I personally have it streaming on every single television in my house. Simultaneously. I personally think Nielsen families are fake. <laughs> have you ever known anyone who's ever been contacted by Nielsen? Because I have not, and no one I ever known has. I feel like it's fake. That's what I'm saying. I, I, I know people who apparently know people who are in Nielsen families, but I've never met a Nielsen family. Therefore, I think that it is fake, much like Montana. Oh, that's controversial. And Australia. Beyond those four matchups we just talked about, BattleBots also released a 30-second teaser video where they showed off quick snippets of another half dozen matchups happening this season. What do you guys say? Do you do you want to do another round of snap decisions? Should we just fly through these or uh, skip? What would... Yes, yes, of course. I want snap to be on decisions. the record and find out how terribly wrong I am. Later. <laughs> All right, okay. All right, let's 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 run through these. All right, Sharko versus Slapbox with fire. By the way, who knows who has fire between the two of them? Slapbox, uh, only because, uh, whoa, did you see how that thing was being driven? And it looked like Sharko got impaled? Sharks can regenerate very very quickly in the wild, Kyle. <laughs> what do you say, Chris? What do you say, Lindsay? Sharko versus Slapbox. I mean, the promo picture definitely makes it look like Slapbox has the upper hand, upper slap in that particular part of the battle. I'm going to go with Slapbox. Okay. Also, sharks don't have hands in the wild, Lindsay. <laughs> they explore things with their mouth. Let's I'm go also going to go with Sharko. Yeah, yeah. Jackpot versus Sub-Zero. Sub-Zero? I mean, honestly, I'm going to have to call it for Jackpot. It looks like a, uh, a very good bot, but uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to root for our boy Logan. I mean, are we determining who who we win, who who we think is going to win, or who we like more? Because those are two <laughs> totally different answers on almost all of these. Yes. <laughs> fair enough. Fair I'm enough. I'm gonna say, uh, well, I'm I don't know what. Uh, I feel like is Jackpot's weapon up too high? No. For no. No. It's way out in front. It's got a lot of reach. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'll say jackpot. I'm also going to go jackpot. Witch Doctor versus Hydra. Oh, I hate this one so much. They're so hard to tell um, just based on how the bots function. I don't know, man. I'm going to have to call it for Hydra, but that's barely. I'm going to say Witch Doctor, and I don't feel conflicted about it. Yeah, me too. I'm also going to go Witch Doctor. Uppercut versus Gemini. Uppercut. I mean, <laughs> I recognize that Gemini's got the big boy pants on this year, uh, which is apparently what they're calling their heavyweight configuration, which I love, but just don't see how having a whole bunch of extra armor on essentially what would be, you know, a featherweight bot is going to help you out against a heavy hitter like Uppercut. I am going to also go Uppercut. Endgame versus Bloodsport. Interestingly, though, okay, there, there's a little bit of backstory here because Bloodsport Captain Justin Marple used to be on Team Endgame. So this is like a little, you know? Whoa. Friend against uh, friend. It's like Monsoon versus Ragnarok. Oh. <laughs> a heartbreaker. All right. Endgame versus Bloodsport. I'm 99% sure it's got to be Bloodsport. I'm going Bloodsport. I'll say Bloodsport. I'll go with the, I'll go with the gang. Y'all wild. All right, Endgame. I'm gonna say Endgame. Endgame for this one. Endgame for the last one. All right, Chomp versus Ghost Raptor uh, with that huge fireball. Yeah. All right. First of all, do we know that that's Ghost Raptor? It was very blurry. Um, Kyle, it's Ghost Raptor. A hundred percent. I mean, uh, that just sounds unfair to Ghost Raptor. Um. <laughs> So obviously, I think it was Chomp. Chomp. Yeah, I don't know. I'm Chomp. I'll say Chomp. Clean sweep. I'm also gonna go with Chomp. Malice versus uh, what appears to be an axe backwards that full <laughs> that's fully engulfed in flames. Okay. <laughs> um, this is interesting. What was this match? I mean, it kind of looked like in the video, and I could be wrong, that that flame was coming from a mini bot. But yeah. maybe this was a rumble. Who knows? Wow. Mm. Um, but it did kind of look like, you know, there was that little little box in the lower left-hand corner of the shot that, that looked like it could have been a mini-bot shooting those flames. Who knows? Either way, I, I really am hoping that Kurt and Axe Backwards are fully functioning as fully intended this year. The wheels look the right size. The bot looks right. Like, the, the proportions of it look good. You know what I mean? Um, uh, Kyle, I'm seeing some other news reports that it actually isn't a mini bot, uh, nor did either of these bots have uh, any flame weapons, but that large explosion was due to a technical malfunction within Axe Backwards. There is nothing inside of Axe Backwards that would create that much fire. But okay, I mean, you know, maybe they filled it up with gasoline this year. That's, that's, that's a thing. Yeah, they used an oil drum this year. <laughs> it's just a crude oil drum that they put wheels on all right malice versus axe backwards all right let's let's get your predictions on the record sorry axe backwards axe backwards what kyle yeah i'm hoping they work this year that's my thing the wheels look the right size for the bot um the concept of the bot isn't a bad concept it, it, this is the third time that kurtz brought it out third time's a charm uh, I'm going to go with Axe Backwards. You are throwing away your votes, sir. All right, uh, Chris and Lindsay. I'm going to say Axe Backwards. 
Wow. Okay, Lindsay. Three for three, axe backwards. Oh my God, malice all the way. Okay, Copperhead versus P1. I I would be remiss to say it was. I mean, it's Copperhead. I can I'm, see I can see Copperhead winning this. I'm saying P1. <laughs> all right, I'm gonna go with Copperhead as well. All right, Rotator versus Valkyrie. This, this is gonna is be a good great. one. That's yeah, a good one. Good. Yeah, this is going to be a really good fight. Oh, man. My guess know. is there's going to be nothing left of either of these bots at the end. <laughs> well, at least they're wheels, right? I mean, they're both presumably going into this with their undercutter configurations. So, yeah. Uh, if I had to make a determination, it would be Rotator, but not by much. I'm going to say Valkyrie, but not by much. I'm going to say Valkyrie. I'm also going to say Valkyrie. All right, Tantrum versus Adam94. Mm. Mm. I'm going to go controversial. Adam94. Whoa. Whoa. Okay. I'm going to say Tombstone. <laughs> uh, but I guess I'll, I have to go on record, and I'm going to say Tantrum. Okay. No, I'm going to say Adam94. I'm going to say Adam94. Yeah. Wow, okay. I have been swayed. I will also go Adam94. And finally, a special bonus, the two biggest bots of the season, Mammoth versus Huge. Oh, this one's going to be so much fun, but I think it's going to be huge. Really? Okay. Yeah, I I am so excited just to see what this is going to physically look like. I believe we saw a preview of it at a Maker at a Orlando Maker Fair last year, right? At Robot mm -hmm. Ruckus? Yeah, but mm. that was no, not this. That was Thwackbot huge, Thwackbot. right? And obviously not the spinner, but I think, uh, uh, yeah, it's gonna be, it's gonna be huge. It's gonna be huge, all right. <laughs> this fight's gonna be mammoth. Oh. No, it's gonna be huge. I'm going to go with mammoth yeeting huge out of the arena. Can that huge, is, can huge physically be yeeted out of the arena? I don't think so. No, I think. I think one of those giant wheels is going to get stuck outside of the arena and they won't be able to get back in. That's my guess. That would truly be the thing then. It doing the thing. Like that that's the only way. Yeah. On over to the world of photo filters. BattleBots this week launched the Which BattleBot Fighter Are You AR filter on Facebook, Instagram and Snap where you're randomly assigned a BattleBot that appears over your head. I tried it this week and was very happy to get hijinks. We'll include links in this week's show notes. Duck Captain Hal Rucker is encouraging fans to hack their new Hexbug versions of Duck to greatly improve the bot's lifting power. You'll need a new spring and a little plastic block. If you can't buy the spring and 3D print the block, Hal is offering to send you both for free if you email him at hrucker@me.com. I cut the block out of wood and I ordered the spring. Not really? from Hal, but from McMaster. Yeah, I'm really excited. I mean, I have wood in my house, so I just used some scrap, scrap oak that I had lying around. Um, I figured that's fine, and I used my Dremel tool to cut it to size. Uh, just go in old school because I don't have a 3D printer at my house. Uh, so, But yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I can't wait to bust it out. I've been using Duck a lot when playing with my kids um, because they like to bust out 
uh, Bite Force, and the only bot that can really stand up to Bite Force uh, for any length of time is Duck. So I cannot wait to get a fully powered uh, lifter on Duck to go against the kiddos. I think that's going to be a blast. I should get the spring tomorrow, actually. This story delights me to no end um, because I think I think any other builder, you know, if they weren't Hal Rucker, <laughs> would be like, "Oh wow, Hexbugs, they uh, kind of made my bot a little weak." But uh, all right, I guess <laughs> you know what I mean. I hope the kids like it. But uh, Hal took apart the bot, like studied it, tried to come up with a solution that involves a tiny little block and a more powerful spring, and you know, like built a video about how to improve this, this little toy, which is just so, so quintessentially how Rucker and uh, just makes me love this builder so much more. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Reach out to how get your little free kit, improve those ducks out there. It doesn't look like it's that hard of a repair to do. I also like that when Hal was on our show, uh, which by the way, go back and check out that episode. Hal is charming and sweet and i would hang out with him any day of the week um he also lamented that uh hexbug duck was not four-wheel drive which i thought was adorable typically you never want to see the bottom of a bot in the battle box because that means something has gone horribly wrong team scorpios has included a little easter egg just in case you manage to flip over their bot in combat a hashtag that starts with the letters hashtag not in a photo posted to Facebook, the team invited fans to speculate on what the rest of the hashtag says. An update now from the wonderful world of BattleBots team merch. Separately, Bloodsport and Jackpot both launched new online merch stores this week where you can buy stickers and other team swag. Team Jackpot has a huge range of merch for sale online with keychains, t-shirts, hats, hoodies, mugs, tote bags, and blankets. My favorite item they are selling has to be a pair of white Capri leggings printed with a houndstooth-inspired Oliver print of tiny little jackpots. Now I know what to get you here for Christmas. <laughs> yes, yeah, give me like a triple XL, quadruple XL for these uh, Capri pants. Actually, you know, I <laughs> I wonder what they look like, you know? Um, and worry, can I we'll wear them outside? We're, we're, we'll find out. Don't worry. <laughs> Dear God, Chris. I don't even know if they come in my size. All right. Team Witch Doctor this week launched a new Facebook supporters page, inviting fans to support the team with a donation of $5 per month. Supporters get, quote, exclusive access to live streams with the team, a private chat group, stories from our kiddos and their bots, and raffles of team memorabilia. Separately, the team is also bringing back their weekly after show, Tale of the Tape, with Hypershock Captain Will Bales. Kyle, thoughts on, uh, on Witch Doctor bringing back Tale of the Tape? Excellent show. Uh, far superior to our own, <laughs> you know? Um, and uh, I, I, I really, really enjoyed uh, watch, watching this, this series uh, when it was running back in 2018. Uh, I watched the first version of Tale of the Tape, which usually... It came out during the first season, and it was like a, it was like a YouTube live or a Facebook live. I can't remember where they were doing it, but um, it came out right after the episodes, and it was basically like an after episode review of what they had just watched. Um, and it kind of started as like Will and friends, or Will or like Will and other Miami builders, but the Witch Doctor team was on there pretty regularly. Um, and then you know it very gradually morphed into just like 
Will and Mike and Andrea hanging out talking about robots. Um, I loved it. It was the first piece of, you know, I guess extra content that I'd ever jumped into in the BattleBots universe. Um, I'm really excited that it's coming back. That was one of the first things that I ever messaged Will Bales, like when I was like, oh man, I know I'm just a fan, but I'm really curious when he's going to bring Tale of the Tape back. So I was like, hey, Tale of the Tape, question mark. And he responded with something ridiculous like, uh, Bale of the Bape, Male of the Mape, you know, with question marks. <laughs> um, cause he's just that charming, but it was nice that he responded to me. Um, but yeah, I, I can't wait till this comes back. I think it's hilarious that Witch Doctor is getting uh, their own supporters page going on with $5 donations. I wonder how long it will take them to surpass uh, BattleBots in Facebook supporters, considering they are, I mean, better at fan engagement than literally any sports team anywhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I signed up. I am a I'm a witch doctor hipster. I was uh, user number fifteen, I think, uh, this week. So come and join me and Mary Catherine Carr over there, and give uh, this amazing team five bucks a month. Who was there first? You or Mary? Oh, Mary. Yeah, like like days <laughs> before me. Yeah, she wouldn't be a super fan if she wasn't. I love it. And finally, we'll wrap up our news this week with an update from Combat Robotics illustrator Caleb Kempson who drew another group of BattleBots builders as Funko Pop figurines. This year, that group included Blacksmith Captain Al Kindle, Rusty Captain David Eaton, Hijinx Captain Jen Herkenroder, Beta Captain John Reed, and Sharko Captain Ed Robinson. We'll include a link to Caleb's page in this week's show notes. Before we get into our interview with Pete, let's continue this year's new bot preview with six brand new bots. First up, let's talk deadlift. Uh, this is an Indianapolis-based team captained by Ryan Shulsky, a mechanical engineer who built RoboGym Robotics with a group of friends he met while studying engineering at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. A couple years back, the group founded iRobotics, the school's largest student organization for robotics. Every year, they organize RoboBrawl, a 30-pound combat robotics competition held during the school's engineering open house. We first met Ryan and his team at Motorama last year, where they brought a number of 30-pound robots to the competition, notably Roundhouse, a featherweight undercutter that took home third place. They applied to the 2020 season of BattleBots with Deadlift, a black-and-white lifter that looks so incredibly clean. This team's aesthetic is so cool. They've got the skills, the background, and the experience to feel the competitive bot. Thoughts on Deadlift? Deadlift is simple but clean you know what you know what deadlift looks like to me deadlift looks like if apple made a combat robot okay yeah okay right right sophisticated understated not yeah. super flashy but clean like, lines you know like it looks high end <laughs> it looks professional it looks it looks like you could have thousands of those rolling off of a production line every day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh man, that would be scary. Um, question, you know, like I, I'm curious about, you know, the lifter concept, you know, in general, when, when I saw roundhouse and just this, just beefy, beefy, like spinner, um, I was thinking that they were going to bring this high kinetic energy robot, um, but they've brought something pretty tactical, you know, something pretty surgical. Um, you know, again, question, can lifters win in 2020? I mean, bite force isn't there. Yes. Yes, they can. 
<laughs> All right. Do you think a lifter will ever win the giant nut? And uh, I, I guess won the giant nut. That's a grappler. That's that's a grappler. Okay. <laughs> like. Uh. Well. Okay. So it does one motion before it lifts. I mean, come on. Same thing. I guess. I guess. Um. <laughs> I, I, I'm really stoked about seeing Deadlift. I think it's it's a beautiful bot. It's just gorgeous. Um, if you haven't seen it, take a look at it. Um, and this this team's aesthetic is really cool. Looking forward to seeing um, this team in 2021, perhaps like building a kind of franchise with uh, with multiple bots, kind of a Wyachi-esque uh, Midwestern team. Uh, speaking of the Midwest, next up, we've got Fusion, a brand new bot from one of the oldest teams in the sport. Team Wayachi isn't afraid to experiment with new and unusual concepts, and Fusion is certainly unusual. It features two main weapons, a vertical drisk on the front of the bot and a horizontal disc on the back. The bot's body is incredibly compact, somehow fitting batteries, motors, speed controllers, and other components between two full-sized weapons. This is also the first time that Reese Ewert has captained his own team on BattleBots, having served on pit crews for various other Waiachi creations over the years. Outside of BattleBots, Reese lives in Wisconsin and works for his family's very successful dairy device manufacturing company, Uttergun. Thoughts on Fusion? We're, we're just coming off of Deadlift, which is this clean and precise looking bot. And we get to Fusion, which looks like if you crushed an entire carnival ride down into a 250 pound murder bot and maybe even like somehow got a carny in there too. Um, it's uh, it looks pretty wild and it looks like it could, it could hurt you real bad, much like an actual carnival ride. It looks chaotic. And I love that. Um, it looks like one of those bots where you just don't know how it's going to operate in the box. I have so many questions about like the physics of it. Like you have one plane of motion going in the front and a totally different plane of motion going in the back. Um, the, I think the one, I, if, if this was a brand new team, if this was just like, I don't know, um, a couple of <laughs> people in a family building this in a garage, I would say absolutely no way. This is, this is not going to work, but team Wayachi, you know, they really know what they're doing and they've designed this robot with some pretty specific, strategy in mind. I'm really, really excited to see Fusion uh, in action. While we're on the subject of Wisconsin teams with unusual bots, let's talk Grabot. This is a bot built by mechanical engineer Ben Davidson, who works in the packaging industry and holds several patents for mechanical inventions. Grabot is billed as a grappler bot in the truest sense of the word. Although we haven't seen video of the bot in action yet, it appears it has two metal arms with hands that have four fingers that open and close. In their official glamour shot, the bot has these little metal flails attached to its hands for totally unknown reasons and two gladiator chariot style wheels. It appears the back of the bot is a wedge while the front is largely unprotected. I, I'm so confused by this robot. I feel like I don't fully understand it yet. Um, in their official team photo, the team is holding various hammers, axes, and other weapons, which to me seems to suggest that perhaps Grabot is is holding these these weapons in combat. Yes. Fun. <laughs> That's what's happening. Yes. Uh, fun facts about Ben. Outside of combat robotics and work, Ben is both a foster parent and a volunteer firefighter. So very cool. What do you think about Grabot? I think you're 100% right on about okay. what Grabot is. Yeah. Um, 
And I I love Grabot. Grabot <laughs> is ridiculous. Um, Grabot is clever. And Grabot has no... Grabot seems to be a experiment on, let's see how silly an idea we can make work. Um, and I love it. And I want it to win the giant nut. <laughs> so, so like in my mind, I imagine these, these little metal fingers, like grasping uh, these lances, these hammers, and <laughs> kind of maybe one is, is held out in front of it while the other is, wildly hammering away with this huge reach like am i am i am i totally off base here like uh is is it going to work anything like what what i'm imagining well if it's like those other weapons that he has you know maybe he'll go out there with that long axe thing for one of the fights if it needs some reach or the long mace thing that it needs if it needs some reach or maybe I don't know, man. It can go out there with like a sword that we haven't seen yet in any of the photos. Either way, Grabot is the new meta. It is our <laughs> robot overlords, and uh, it has taken just the top half of the Abwalden overlord strategy, and it's bringing it to BattleBots, and it's going to slay all the dragons, and I'm really excited. Grabot looks exactly like all of the you know like little robots I've ever built out of Legos. Like, put some wheels on something, take the hands of a Lego person, stick it on there, like, and just make it happen. And for that reason, I love it. It's, like, literally, like, little Lego person hands on top of a, a Lego robot. It really grabs your attention. Let's head on over to Northern California to talk hijinks, Captain by friend of the pod, Jen Herkenroder. Jen is a really interesting figure in combat robotics. She's an artist and a maker builder and driver on the power racing series who works as a manufacturing engineer at a consulting firm specializing in experimental drones she is also an incredibly talented welder in 2018 she competed at battlebots with battle royale with cheese and last year appeared on the pit crew with scorpios in 2020 she launched a new team with scorpios designer and former captain orion beach with the vision of building a category breaking heavyweight the result is hijinks a neon owl-themed undercutter with a massive blade that doubles as the bot's only defense. It's kind of like if you took Deep Six's blade, turned it on its side, and put an owl's face on it. I would love to get your thoughts on hijinks. That description that you just gave was ridiculous, and I loved it. Thank you, Kyle. Um, so I want hijinks to go super far in this competition it's super well designed it looks to be super well built um you know we both know or we know jen and orion are absolute geniuses and fantastic roboteers i i want nothing but the best for this team and um i really hope they do super well i i've been thinking all week about uh, Jeff Waters' comment last week on the show about the shifting meta being more about reach and how hijinks really fits into that, and kind of like how a lot of like different parts of the game are falling into place. Like after he said that, you know, like I think about huge, um, I think about you know deep six, obviously um, jackpots, 
and hijinks, you know, like this idea of let me take a hunt, an undercutter and strip out literally everything, you know, like there's, there's no armor, um, you know, there's no self-writing mechanism. Um, it's kind of like if we took Valkyrie and just stripped out literally every single part of it and just put a huge motor on it, you know, and, and made the blade even longer, like that is really interesting. Uh, and I'm curious to see the 2020 field and how these super long reach bots perform. Um, Cause it really is different from our, our like traditional champion bots, you know, like, um, like Minotaur or bite force where they're really well built. They've got like a good balance of, of offense and defense. They're designed to, to take hits and keep running, you know, like these, bots like hijinks are just designed like you're never going to hit any part of the bot. So why have armor at all? You know, like that's, it's pretty interesting. It kind of started with witch doctor, right? When they kind of moved their weapon up on their frame or forward, I should say on their frame and then decided to kind of forego the wedge. Mm, yeah. The weapon is the wedge. You know, I mean, that was something that I think Paul mentioned to us on the show is like, he didn't think that would work. And then when he saw it working, he was like, Oh, I got to re- rethink some things. That's, really impressive because they they just go full weapon first and they get the reach on you and as long as they're making contact they're probably winning or they're knocking you 14 feet high in the arena now do we know if hijinks can drive inverted no but i presume they have enough torque to right themselves in most situations how how is that physically possible kyle well think about it on its back it's not going to be unless it does the thing right it's not going to be perfectly flat on that flat part it's it's got slopes on those um, extremities so it's going to be at an angle so as long as it can get itself hitting the floor multiple times it should be able to get itself up and over especially if it hits a sidewall that's my guess interesting I mean, like the position of their their wheels. I I think that the bot will still continue to perform if it's if it's inverted. It will obviously no longer be an undercutter, but um, and and maybe its performance will be slightly worse. But um, I I don't think that it's possible for it to self ride itself. But I am looking forward to being proven wrong uh, this coming season. Um, so I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Speaking of big weapons, let's head over to Las Vegas and talk quickly about Jackpot. Jackpot Captain Jeff Waters was on the show last week, so we'll kind of fly through this one. Jeff works as a plumber and pipe fitter on major construction projects in Las Vegas, most recently spending several years on the team that built Allegiant Stadium, home of the Las Vegas Raiders. He's a relative newcomer to combat robotics, having built his first video weight in 2018. But since then, he's thrown himself into the sport and is a regular fixture at insect weight combat robotics competitions across the U.S. Last year, he and his friends launched Vegas Combat Robotics, built a beetleweight arena, and began hosting their own competitions. He started the 2020 season on Team Malice, but decided to strike out on his own when BattleBots quietly began soliciting new applications about a month before filming started. The team executed a one-month sprint, designing and building two jackpots and live-streaming the build process. Jackpot is a casino-inspired dual vertical blade spinner based off Jeff's theories about the sports shifting meta towards bots that are designed to maximize their reach. Thoughts on Jackpot? 
I think that you're ignoring a major part of their strategy, which is disrupting other people's electronics and motors with glitter. <laughs> Do you think we're going to have a jackpot rule uh, next year? Anti-glitter jackpot rule? I, I mean, Jeff seems to be the type of person that thinks that if you're not getting a rule made after you, you're not doing it right. Have, have, have any of you, the three of you, uh, received a gift of glitter in the mail? You know, maybe a friend giving you glitter, something like that, glitter being all over your house. I'm, I'm curious. Glitter bomb or just like one of those dollar store glitter Merry Christmas cards that make me secretly dislike even family? Uh, your mother gave me a glitter-covered uh, birthday card last week or two weeks ago, Chris. And there's glitter all over the car. I used to do store display windows in New York City uh, for Christmas. And that the flocking of those decorations and often Christmas trees would cover my body with glitter in such a way that it would get all over my apartment, no matter how carefully I try to just rush into the bathroom, throw my clothes into a trash bag and get in the shower, no matter what, I would just get glitter all over my apartment and the subway and the bodega and everywhere else I hit on the way home from those jobs. Kyle, now you know your lungs are, they're like 2% glitter now. Oh no, I wore a respirator. I, <laughs> I've, been wearing, I've been wearing masks since before it was cool. That's good. All right, back to jackpot. This this huge, huge robot. What 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 do you think about its prospects this season? It looks like a tough uh, little bot, and it looks like it's got a big old honking weapon on there. So I'm gonna say that it's not one that could be ruled out. Yeah, yeah. They built two jackpots and a hexbug jackpot. Jackpot. They're. I mean, they've got everything they need to win. Yeah, but if all the glitter falls off, does it lose its potency? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I feel like this bot is going to have Deep Six-esque, um, you know, physics, but without kind of the wild, um, you know, like bouncing all around the box um, that we expected from from Deep Six. Um, it's, it's a really interesting design. I, I think that they're going to absolutely win a couple matches this this season. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited to see Jackpot in action. Speaking of Malice, let's talk Malice. This is a new team captained by longtime combat robotics competitor, Bunny Sariel. Bunny has been involved in the sport since the early 2000s and helped organize robo games and combats. She's competed at King of Bots on the pit crew for the Cat King and at BattleBots on the pit crews for Rex and Shatter. This year, she pulled together a team of veteran beetleweight builders to design Malice, a beefy horizontal disc spinner that's a scaled-up version of Animus, the beetleweight built by David Rush. The team is bringing two complete robots to the competition, running two versions of its drum, Red Rush and Purple Pain. Thoughts on Malice? It's different in a heavyweight glass. Um, I really haven't seen a wheel kind of like that on the front of a, of a heavyweight. Yeah. Kyle, what, what, do you, what do you think about the physics of this bot? I mean, like, what type of opponent is uh, going to be particularly well-suited for, for Malice? This is a good question. Um, so I think a lot about the Animus fights. And before our interview with Malice, I watched a bunch of those. And Animus, uh, for our listeners that don't know, 
is kind of the original version of this robot, but you know, at a at a three pound scale. And I think that the physics of Animus, where it would like hit and bounce itself all over the box and then keep going because it was such a well-built little machine. Um, I'm very curious as to how that's going to translate to heavyweight. Hmm. I, I mean, I don't think that that, you know, really frenetic bouncing all over the box is going to happen, but I think that there are going to be shots that launch malice as far backwards as their opponent. Right. Um, and it's going to be really interesting to see how malice stands up to that. You know, it's going to be interesting to see how, how it lasts in those situations. Um, so I don't know. I'm a little bit skeptical, honestly, of the efficacy of the design. But then again, we've never seen anything like this. So who knows? I, I, I think it's going to be chaotic. Um, I, I think that you're going to see these huge concussive hits against, you know, a side of a weapon or ideally a side of a wheel or a side of, you know, um, their opponent's body. Um, but as soon as they make contact, they're going to be flinging themselves in the opposite direction, getting up, spinning that weapon back up, trying to come over and make another huge concussive hit. Um, so it's, it's interesting. Um, you know, this is, this is a team of really smart builders. Obviously animus has had success. And so, you know, they, they've sunk a huge amount of time and energy into this design. So they know something that we don't know. Um, and I think it will come down to the toughness of their internals. If they can keep picking themselves up and making these giant hits, they might knock something loose, break a weapon um, with this with this big drum. But uh, again, time will tell. And that's it for this week's news and new bot preview. After the break, our interview with the bot whisperer, Pete Abramson. This week on the podcast, we have a very special guest, longtime builder Pete Abramson, aka the Bot Whisperer. Pete is a true combat robotics veteran who competed in the 1994 Robot Wars competition in San Francisco with high school friend Mark Satrakian and their bot, the Master. The following year, he encouraged his friend Greg Munson to compete on Robot Wars, which he did with the first true metabot, La Machine. Greg and his cousin Trey went on to launch BattleBots, where Pete competed with his robots Gigan, Gigan 2, and Ronin. When the show returned to the air in 2015, Pete joined the BattleBots crew, where he worked behind the scenes to understand robot strategy, which Chris Rose and Kenny Florian used to inform their color commentary. This season, Pete is stepping out from behind the scenes and joining the broadcast team as the Bot Whisperer, and will discuss fight strategy and bot design on the air. Outside of combat robotics, he's a mechanical designer at Applied Invention, home to Chomp Captain Zoe Stevenson and her husband, Yasha Little. He's also worked as a puppeteer, animatronics engineer, and on the practical special effects teams for Hollywood blockbusters like Men in Black 2, Hellboy, Dinosaurs, Beethoven, and Aliens 3. We're really looking forward to learning more in the hour ahead, so welcome to the show, Pete. Hello. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I am so excited that we uh, that we that we have you. Um, 
I, I, I will say that every time that we've had Greg Munson on, he's encouraged us to uh, to reach out to you um, because you're one of the most interesting people on the production team. Um, and you know more about robots than probably anybody. So um, so we're really, really excited that, uh, that you were able to take the time. So thanks for that. No problem. You're quite welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, so before we get into combat robotics, I'd love to just understand more about your life outside of robots. Um, so I guess, can you take us back to growing up in the Bay Area, kind of like hanging out with Mark and Greg, you know, um, and and like the like pre-1994 world, you know, of yeah. uh, Silicon Valley? Oh, totally. Um, so... I moved all around through Marin and through Sonoma County and, and things during my youth and eventually ended up um, going to Del Mar Middle School in Tiburon, where when I was sitting in the library as the new kid, Greg walks in and sits down on the table right in front of me and goes, hey, you the new kid? And that was it. Like, best friends from that point on. I've known Greg since, you know, I was what? 14, 15 at that point in time. Um, and uh, we just, you know, became locked friends like that. Our shared interests in special effects and movie making, like we were making stop motion movies with other friends of ours. And then in high school, we all met Mark Satrakian because we'd come from different middle schools, but then met in high school. And Mark was miles ahead on being sort of a special effects wizard already in high school and understanding what was going on. Um, so age 14, I am, I've seen Empire Strikes Back and I was blown away, uh, completely taken aback by this film. And about that year comes out a magazine, issue number two of Cinefix, which is a special effects magazine, a really high-end one. Uh, and uh, I was looking through it in the Empire Strikes Back issue and seeing people standing around on set with models and puppets. And then made this like giant leap of logic to, oh my God, this is a job. People do special effects as a career. And I could do this too. And that was it. Like everything from my life from that point was how am I going to get into special effects? I mean, I loved Ray Harryhausen and I was a big fan of any James Bond and, you know, of course, Star Wars and Jaws and all of that. But like I was now driven to be in special effects and movie making. And so was Greg and so was Mark. And so there was this group of us that were all sort of coalescing together in Redwood High School in Marin County to want to make videos and movies and special effects. And all of us, when we sort of, everybody graduated, Mark was a year ahead. He went to UCLA for one year and then left and came back and said, I hate this, this doesn't work for me. And his mother knew somebody at ILM and he took this little teeny mechanical head he had made on his workbench back in his bedroom that had up, down, left, right eyes. It had blinks, it had brows, and it was all controlled by monofilament and little bits of plastic. And he took that in and said, here's my 
you know, basically my resume, this is my portfolio. And they pretty much pointed to a bench and said, go sit over there. You're going to start working immediately. And he's got a job on Howard the Duck. And through that first connection into the business, when I went away, I went away to come to LA and went to school at USC with Greg, who also went to USC. Greg majored in music. I went to the art school because I did not have the grades to get into um, the cinema school and took every cinema course I could as well as doing all my, my art courses. And then nearing the end, Mark had finished working on multiple films up at ILM and was coming down to be the lead mechanic on the movie, The Blob, on the remake of The Blob. He, I took him to his interview, he got the job and uh, I went back to school and was working, I was doing my classwork and he called me up at one point and said, can you come in on the weekends and help me? I just need help, we're overloaded, there's so much to make, I need some help. So I went in and started helping on the weekends and then the semester ended for school and I walked in and said, I'm free to do whatever you need me to do because I can now work full time. And he piles me into his Mustang Mach 1 that he had, uh, that had his passenger seat was removed because that's where he used to put his keyboards um, and drove me out to Simi Valley to where a place called DreamQuest was. Uh, it was a effects studio, uh, had multiple stages, shot a lot of effects back in the, did the abyss, did a bunch of things for the model work. And this is where we were shooting effects stuff for the blob. And he hands me a set of Allen keys, climbs back in the car and says, you're now the onset mechanic. I've got to go back to the shop <laughs> and leaves me out there <laughs> to, to basically figure it out on my own. So wow. trial by fire, I was thrown into the effects world and I guess I survived because, uh, uh, you know, I continued to do it even to a point to this day, even though I work at another place that doesn't really do film, I still do little movie stuff here and there. So that was kind of like this start of my career. Um, I worked on The Blob, I worked on Beethoven, I worked on Adam's Family, Alien 3, the TV show Dinosaurs, a lot of commercials here and there, some smaller movies that went straight to video, uh, then worked on, got to work on Men in Black 2, worked on Hellboy, worked on Son of the Mask, piece of junk, but we won't talk about that. Um, uh, you know, and had a lot of those kind of films interspersed in between there too. Uh, but around, let's see, it probably would have been 80, around 88, I think, I was getting into RC cars and I was playing around with, I wanted to make a Formula One Tamiya car into the Elf car, which was a four wheel front end. Um, really weird little car that had existed in Formula One racing back, I think the uh, late seventies. And I have a machine shop, but Mark did. And so Mark was, who was working at Rick Baker's at the time, he done gremlins too and a few other things uh he was like oh let me help you and so we created a little steering linkage and machined up some stuff and remade the front end to have four wheels on the front end of this formula one racer and i painted it up not like the elf car i sort of made it my own version 
And it was kind of like, hey, Mark, if we were a racing team, what would we be? And I think he went, we'd be Team Sinister. That would be mm. our team. And that was sort of where the birth of the name comes from. And so during that, I was all I had like a big monster truck, uh, a cloudbuster to me, a car that I was playing around with. And Mark and I talked about what if we had cars, what if we took remote control cars and we put like rockets on them and launched them at each other and had a little war? It was like, this would be so much fun. Let's do this. So we started diving in. He went and bought a Kyosho truck and we built roll cages. We were armoring them up. I had a pneumatic bumper system that when they, when the bumper engaged and compressed, it hit a switch that fired two little like squibs that I would glue on the front of the bumper to blow out a bunch of like uh, shrapnel or little BBs into the other vehicle. I built a turret that held two SD's rockets on it that I could sort of rotate the turret, aim it and fire them. And we were discussing like, what, how would we do this? Like we were, let's go out to the desert. We'll wear catcher's armor, you know, we'll wear like a, an umpire's armor and we'll stand way back and we'll drive these cars in each other and attack them and blow them up. Um, and so we were sort of going down this path and right around this time, Mark Thorpe calls up Satrakian and says, I'm doing the thing. I'm going to make a show that's going to have robots that are going to beat up other robots. Do you want to be involved? And he originally wanted Mark to sort of partner with him. But Mark said, I don't think I'd be good at being the event organizer. I want to build a robot for you. And so he started building the master. During this time, I was on a film called Born to be Wild, Madcap Adventures of a Boy and an Ape. not a, not the greatest film in the world, but you know, uh, and I flew down from, where was I? I was up in Seattle shooting and I flew down to San Francisco to go to the event, um, to go to the first robot wars. Cause Mark said, I've got a, you know, I've got your pit pass for you. You're going to come help me. And then another one of our friends, Paul Rivera, who was the other founding member of sort of team sinister, all three of us were there to support and help Mark on his first foray into robot combat with the master. Um, Pete, I'm, I'm really interested. Um, so like as, as a Bay Area native myself, I, I feel like combat robotics in the Bay Area seem kind of inextricably linked. And from your perspective, you know, do you think that combat robotics could have started anywhere else in the country? Or is there something special about kind of the mixture of art and science and engineering in the Bay Area that made it you know, the, the sport that it became? Well, I mean, you, you got to remember also that uh, the robot battles down at Dragon Con, I think it started one year prior to that. Um, and then there was, what was it, Critter Crunch, which was made by a bunch of, like, Mattel toy people got together and just sort of had a couple small things that, you know, beat each other. But I don't think anything was much bigger than a couple of pounds at that time. Um, but what Mark Thorpe was bringing about by the fact that you had ILM in Marin, which was producing these amazing artists, engineers, slash engineer combos, as well as you had survival research laboratories that was doing these big giant art exhibits of huge gnashing teeth, flamethrower based type robots eating each other, not for competition, but for pure spectacle of the art of it. 
it was the right place for the birth of robot combat to be. And like, what an amazing hollowed ground that Fort Mason has now become, you know, to be able to be this location where this event was birthed and influenced so many people afterwards. You know, there are, I, I'll tell you, a, we'll talk about this later on when we talk about the new, new season, but there was a, there was somebody that I knew through Treasure Island that he was a kid and I had loaned him my radio um, back in the day to be able to survive the thing. And he was competing in 2020. Like, you know, there's just, it was amazing at what influence and far reaching effects robot combat had on so many lives, mine included, obviously, because <laughs> my career completely changed based after robot combat. Uh, working in a place called Applied Minds, uh, there were multiple BattleBots competitors there. There was Christian Carlberg, there was Luke Conlian, there, uh, there was myself, the Yasha came in later, Dan Danknick was there, uh, Don Leverrier. Um, like, we had a plethora <laughs> of pretty serious builders that went on to work it on some amazing projects together. I'm going to jump in. I just wanted Please. to. Oh, so this is Kyle, by the way. Hi. Yeah. Hey, Kyle. Um, all right. So 1995. Yes. Robot Wars. Yes. You've got one under your belt. You kind of know what to expect now. <laughs> yeah, sure. Sort of. <laughs> sort of. It you, was have, so you have a vague new. idea. Yeah, it was so new. But I took an old Tamiya tank robot and rebuilt the gearbox and rebuilt a bunch of stuff and added some weapons and did some carbon fiber armor and produced my first robot, which was Gigan, and it fought in the lightweight category. Uh, lost to uh, Will Wright. Uh, not, not a thing to lose to, you know. I mean, if you're going to lose to somebody, let it be the guy who created The Sims, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, it was sort of my first thing. And I had on in 94, I had called Greg and said, you need to come watch this. And he came down and watched it. And then sometime later on, whether it was myself or was tracking said, oh, you should build one and compete next year. And that's what Greg and Trey showed up with La Machine in the middleweight category only to win that and then win the heavyweight rumble because why wouldn't you if you're a middleweight go into the heavyweight rumble and defeat everybody there too so uh, that sounds like a really fun year um so was did that how soon after that did you guys kind of start brainstorming about BattleBots, the tv show kind of moving away from what mr thorpe was doing um that Moving away did not happen for a bit. Like we did in 95, we went to uh, Mark Thorpe took La Machine Thor, which was the first hammer bot ever. And it's this amazing thing made out of titanium billet. And the, the guys, Schilling Robotics, they make undersea rover arms that are meant for 4,000, 6,000 feet below surface type operation. 
uh, they showed up with this unbelievable robot Thor that was all hydraulically powered. Um, and so we took that, the master and law machine to England to show off to then, uh, what was that mentor? And I think it was, um, you could, somebody could correct the history exactly. Uh, and the BBC about what to make a show out of. And they had built a, a little gauntlet course and they had built a small arena that we were going to have these three robots fight in and show off what's the possibility of making a television show out of robot combat. And of course, you guys know the history of that. That took off in England and Plotnicky kept to it to himself and, you know, pushed Mark out. Yep. And there was quite a few lawsuits that kept happening right around the days before each new Robot Wars San Francisco would happen. So like 96, we had this, you know, little tenuous stuff. 97 was even more obnoxious and harsh. And then 98, we don't get to have an event. We can't. We're actually closed off and, and locked out of having the event. So we had like our first, I think it was Sork was the meeting um, at like downtown San Francisco where a bunch of builders got together and talked about how can we have an event? And, you know, Mark and I were, most people were sort of, this will be great. We'll do it for free. We'll just do everything. And Mark and I were, after having been in the film industry for so long and making puppets and things, we knew the value of our time and we knew the value of what we've created. Like there's IP within each robot. And these weren't things to just be given away lightly in, in our mind. Um, so it was hard to get that across in that first meeting because there was many who were just there to fight for the sake of the robot. And we were starting to see that this had much greater future and it needed to be, you know, builders needed to be protected. IP of the robots needed to be protected images, you know, cause I always thought that these could be toys, you know, like that was one of the first things I, when I made Ronin, Ronin is not the winning robot at all. Like I won a couple of fights, but it is not a championship bot, but it is a perfect toy because I wanted it to look like a toy and I wanted it to be something people would like go to. So in 90, I guess it was late 98 or possibly early 99, um, there was a lawsuit, there was a bankruptcy filing for Mark Thorpe. And a bunch of us showed up to go to this, go to the court and sit in the court for support. Um, and then afterwards, we all showed up and went to uh, Trey's home in Petaluma, where sitting around on his couch covered in Weimariners and drinking beer, Trey and Greg kind of like get together and go, we're thinking about having our own event. Because they were, Trey was a big help in, in funding the bankruptcy filings and funding the lawsuits against Plotnicky for Mark Thorpe, was trying to help out making Mark Thorpe, you know, survive these and actually can maintain his own IP of the Robot Wars product. 
Of course, all of this can be read about in uh, Gearheads, the book, <laughs> if you guys want more. Uh, but so we're sitting there on the couch and Trey and Greg say, we're thinking about doing this thing. And everybody there was like, yeah, let's do this. Let's have our own setup. And since they were already competitors, they had a sense of what would be good for the competitors. They saw it in sort of a, not in like a Plotnicky way, which was how do I make money off of all this, but how do I make money and bring all of these people along with me for them to make money off of what they're creatively producing, which is the robots. And so we did pre-99 at Long Beach, we took a bunch of robots to Mattel to show off to Mattel about possibly making toys. That of course didn't go anywhere, but like Christian was there, I was there, uh, Mark was there. Um, I don't remember who else showed up, but a, a, a good chunk of us were all in the parking lot at Mattel sort of driving robots around. Um, and then they got Long Beach 99, which I had th thrown out Gigan 2, which was a serious fail, and started working heavily on Ronin um, right before and built Ronin for that event specifically. Uh, while all the while, Mark was over at Rick Baker's building Mechadon. Uh, we were, I think, a day and a half late showing up to the event because I finished Ronin, packed it up in my car, drove over to help Mark load Mechadon, and then ended up staying 24 hours straight working with Mark to finish off Mechadon so that we could then put it in my truck and drive it down to Long Beach. All the while, like every hour, Greg and Trey are calling, are you guys going to make it? Are you guys going to make it? Are you guys going to make it? Finally, we obviously did. You know, lack of sleep and blurry-eyed. Um, and showed up for the very first BattleBots. And that kind of the rest of that sort of became a, you know, its own history of how all these phenomenal builders, I mean, Grant Imahara showed up for the first time there. Uh, you know, there were lots of builders that, uh, uh, Yasha was there with the very first version of the judge, super ugly, but uh, still amazingly powerful. Um, what a god that was an unbelievable time and of things we could do like stuff that you can't do today i remember uh dan dankton and i were fighting each other he had agrippa and i had ronin and we had pre-talked about it ahead of time and we were each wearing each other's team t-shirts underneath our own and we're fighting at like at minute one minute thirty we put our radios down, stripped our shirts off to reveal the other team's shirt, ran across the platform, which people thought we were gonna get into fisticuffs, <laughs> grabbed each other's radios and started fighting with each other's robots. <laughs> <laughs> Something that could never happen today, right? Because it's truly about the competition where that was like about the fun, right? So it was great. Uh, so um, time goes on, you guys have televised battle bots you have um a comedy central contract you have uh, mcdonald's toys i mean things go explosive with this whole thing um, yes that's changed when... my changed my life actually 
Yeah, uh, you know, because I was now getting job offers to do BattleBot style things on television shows, like judging Amy. I did. I put Ronin on there with another robot we built specifically to be destroyed by Ronin. Uh, CSI, Christian got the call, but brought me in on it uh, because he couldn't be there the whole time. So I drove for a bunch of the shots in CSI, and then Christian was there for a couple others. Um, what other? Oh, the TV show Friends. I used the base of Ronin for this couple of episodes of Mac and Cheese, which was Joey's television sh cop show with him with a robot. If you look it up, you can, it's silly, very silly. But Ronin is the base platform that we mounted a humanoid uh, robot on top of to drive around a puppeteer. Uh, so I've started getting a ton of jobs based upon having done BattleBots. People were seeing BattleBots and recognizing the engineers and the builders of BattleBots as a new commodity to be you know, brought into their companies, into the workplaces, because we were getting hired for jobs because we built robots that were meant to survive in the real world. If you could call the battle box the real world, I call it a box of chaos, but it is basically the real world. You have to deal with the unknowns constantly. So robots that were built not based on calculations and numbers but on gut feelings of okay i've done the calcs but will that be enough am i going to survive out there in the arena and people really starting to having to push the real world aspect of how do i make a thing survive whereas you know there was no at that time there was no nasa robot that could have survived in that kind of world right <laughs> no. and many robots needed a very perfectly flat space no nothing was meant to be able to handle terrain and you know so we were given jobs that were much more far-reaching in asking how far can we make a robot go and work in a much harsher environment than what anybody's ever been expecting before so eventually the party ended uh yes. comedy central canceled the show Trey then immediately went to work trying to get it back on the air and continued that work for, uh, well, right up until uh, 2015. Right. But, um, uh, but what was going on with robot combat for you in that interim? What were you doing in uh, the dark ages, I guess you could say, <laughs> of untelevised combat robotics? And let me just make it clear that that's the only reason why it's dark is because it wasn't making it to TV. It was very light. There was plenty of combat going on, actually. Um, I had branched out with a couple of builders, uh, with Patrick Campbell, with Jim Snook, uh, Eric Stolicker, and Brian Rowe to create Zozbots, which was one-pound robots, 16-ounce robots. We had we had been doing competition, running little competitions, doing uh, trade shows and having our arena there and having robots fight. Um, we also, Ted Shimoda, we were doing a ton of little events at his place. He had a little arena he built inside his lawnmower shop. Um, but also 
RoboGames was going on. I mean, RoboGames was huge. RoboGames is a big part of why it survived. They yeah. kept people excited and building big robots. I mean, Ray comes out of RoboGames. Uh, Matt Maxim comes out of RoboGames. You know, because that BattleBots had ended before they had their moment in BattleBots. So they had to find a place to do it. And they were at RoboGames. And this was, you know, I mean, that was a big thing. There was Steel Conflict also. Uh, that was going on. There was, a, And there was stuff going on back east. All the while, though, BattleBots did have uh, um, Bots IQ happening too. They were trying to do smaller stuff by using college and high school kids to build in a collegiate style level of combat, um, which that was keeping BattleBots sort of in the, in the light, still being seen that something was happening. Of course, they didn't want to have a major event without it being televised. And we didn't get that until we had that uh, 2015 um, CBS or ESPN. Pardon me for not having somebody could fill in the, I'm sure Mark Elam can jump in here and tell us exactly what time of history and what the, what the name of the producer was of that show, but had that one show in back at Fort Mason again, um, before we finally pick, or was that 2015 or was, I could be off with that again. Sorry. My age is showing, um, before we finally had ABC show up and say, we're going to do well, not that they showed up. It was because Trey and Greg were knocking on their doors constantly. And then we got the gig. That's why. <laughs> and so um, the reboot happens. It's 2015. Um, I'm assuming that you were one of the first people Trey called when he got it. Yes. Um, <laughs> I think so I was, were, was your immediate number. thought. Oh man, I haven't touched that battle box since 2009. <laughs> I gotta get in there and get it built. What what was going through your mind when you got that call? So Greg called me up and said, "We we finally we got a show. We're gonna do a show, and here's when we're gonna do it. And it's gonna be for ABC. Um, do you want to build for it?" And I said, "Let me get back to you." I did a full budget breakdown of what it would take, and then I called him up and said what's the stipend how much are we going to be able to get and he told me and it was below my budget um so i was like you know i almost had a divorce because of ronin i don't really need to go into that again i am kind of also feeling done with building and competing with combat robots can is there something else i can do what can i do to help the show and greg's like well, we're going to need a, a technical expert for sure. And so that would be really helpful. So you could just sort of be there. We bring you in and all of the weird shit that's going to happen, you can help explain that. Um, and we didn't really know what it was going to be until we really got to set in Vallejo and started, I sort of started talking to all the builders and figuring out what was going on with each new robot. And then I was getting asked what's going on in this thing. And eventually I ended up in the control room with being with the, the showrunner, Aaron Catling, and executive producer, Chris Cowan, um, and uh, 
the producer of Chris and Kenny, Mike Burke, who sort of, he's there on their microphone all the time. He's the one that builds the uh, instant replays for them to do the commentary on. Uh, he comes from a long line of doing football and sports. And they said, sit next to Mike, fill him in on any little details that might be strange that we just don't understand what's going on. So, so we know what's happening. And so that kind of became my gig was what they originally called, I think in my credit was play-by-play -play producer or something like that, even though that's actually what Mike's kind of credit was. Uh, and I became the liaison to Chris and Kenny for technical jargon. And, you know, what do you hear Chris and Kenny going, oh my God, look at the giant white smoke. That's gotta be his lithium batteries. Well, they didn't know what a lithium battery was at the time. That was me talking to Mike saying, that white smoke is a lithium battery fire. And then he would tell them and then they would go, look at the fire. <laughs> you know, so it was a, <laughs> this wonderful game of telephone early on. Uh, and they and every time something strange happened, if something weird went on, like let's take going back to the box, the gift that was given by uh, complete control to uh, Ghost Raptor, the the net gate, right? Yeah, that all of a sudden weird. happens, and everybody in the control room looked at me and said, "Peter." <laughs> what's that? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> and I'm quickly ripping through the rules, looking down, trying to see what an entanglement device encapsulates, you know, like, what was that within the rules? Was it not? Like, it wasn't written specifically. Oh, my God, it just turned into this giant, like, the, the producer, she was from ABC Disney, like, she had, she was the one that has to make sure everything's very legal and that we're following game show rules and all this, like, she's like, what the hell is this? What's going on? What are we doing? <laughs> like, it was just a, it was insane what NetGate turned into at that moment. Um, but that's the kind of thing that I was constantly getting pulled into and asked my opinion about, is anything weird that would happen like that. Man, and NetGate, so NetGate was one of the first things that came to my mind this year uh, when I realized that Chuck was coming back <laughs> and Derek is going to be a judge, and I was like, "Is is Derek going to have to refuse himself from those from those matches? What's going to happen?" Oh no, Derek's a very good, you know, very qualified judge who will not let that kind of thing go in his way. <laughs> but uh, uh, that was it was brilliant because that was Derek reading the rules very carefully to realize that it wasn't written in the rules. There was the spirit of the rules that you could say was being broken by no entanglement devices. And the entanglement devices that were listed were string and glue and ball bearings and a couple of other things. But um, a net wasn't one of them. And so he just kind of, and it wasn't active either. It was just this cardboard box with the net inside. You know, like it was, it was so brilliantly thought of a plan and perfectly executed. Uh, and so it's like, it wasn't in the spirit of the game, but it also wasn't in the rules. So there was just that great ambiguity that he just capitalized on. And that's what makes Derek, Derek. That's what makes him great, you know. Um, I've known Derek for years since, I guess, what was his first robot pressure drop or 
yeah, yeah pressure drop is the first one i remember yeah. yeah all right so amazon remars yes that, that was, was last. the first time in the modern era that you were kind of on the broadcast team um you did make some appearances as i recall as pulverizer pete earlier in life uh um, no 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 pulverizer pete is pete lambertson that's who, right pete lambertson you ran he ran the whopper which is was the arena at the time before the whopper it was, was the arena well the whopper is this giant control panel it looks gotcha. like if you there's an old uh was it the Forbin project or there, there's an old seventies movie about a giant computer that basically takes over. It's like pre-war games. It wants to launch every missile. And the machine was called the Whopper. It was, you know, it was all an acronym. I can't remember what it meant. Um, and that's what you called the they had the, That was the giant control panel is it's called the Whopper. And it, uh, he used to run every saw and every hammer and everything by himself. He was like, was the arena until we randomized it and computerized it so that it wasn't, what was starting to happen is matches were being lost because the robots were having to be, were taken out by the arena as opposed to the other competitor. Uh, and so that was being seen as not the right path yeah. for the event. And so, randomization started to come into play and Pete being taken out as the evil operator and becoming just the guy who runs the control panel to make sure everything works, but he wasn't influencing a fight anymore by bringing the hammer down. And then, you know, as we, as you can see, the hammers are now controlled by the teams. They each have their own hammers. The saws come up at random times. The, um, Hellraisers lift up on random points so it doesn't directly affect like there might be the perfect grapple going on and they're on top of the saws and if Pete would have raised the saws at that point that grapple might have been broken and that fight would have ended in a different way whereas now it's okay you're risking being on top of the saws because you don't know if they'll come up or not but the arena was not influencing the fights anymore. That was a crucial thing. So I'm not sense. pulverizer Pete. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, all right. So Amazon Remars. Amazon Remars. You were a part of the on-air production team for that. Um, yes. I get brought in to the halftime show for an interview, um, which I fought gallantly against my director's chair as the foot peg broke. Uh, but that's a different story. <laughs> uh, so we're there to, Chris Rose and I are there to interview the president of iRobot. And um, who else was there in the chair? There was another, I can't remember who we had as guests. We had a Twitch person who she was, hopefully somebody can fill this in. Somebody would know this. Um, and so I was brought, they said, why don't you come in? Cause you know, a bunch of robots and you can talk to this guy about the thing. And so I was sort of doing the interview with him. Cause I knew I robot from my years of doing robotics as a career after I sort of stopped doing film. Um, 
and been around military robots and knew his stuff and of course knew the Roomba and everything else. So it was perfect that I was sort of there to kind of talk to him about it. And it's funny because if you watch that, you'll see Chris Rose trying to reset me upright because I'm leaning over so much because I'm so excited to have this conversation <laughs> that I'm leaning in too far and not sitting up straight. And Chris keeps like pulling me back upright. But, uh, you know, I, I just had a blast. And they, meaning Aaron and Greg and Trey and uh, Tom Gutteridge and Chris Cowan, all saw something that I was doing that they really liked. And it was sort of how I, I'm a, I'm a nerd, right? I, I geek out and lose it over about talking about cool robots. And so that's what I was expressing. And they originally, before 2020 came about, they were thinking they were going to get um, Greg Gibson from Yeti to do this mm. role. And they couldn't think of and Mott Rob couldn't do it. And there makes me feel kind of sad that I was sort of later chosen, but they said, went, Oh yeah, he did great at three bars. Let's use him. Uh, so they brought me in. I mean, they brought me in to say, we want you to do this role. Can you, will you do it? Are you interested in doing it? So I had multiple phone conversations, you know, Greg and I talk easily weekly anyways but long conversations with greg and trey before i finally sort of had a long conversation with aaron and said all right i i think i can do this i was in a it was weird because leading up to this the loss of grant imahara and as well as just all of the covid bullshit that we've been living through and the idea that we were going to do 2020 as no audience and with a ton of COVID restrictions and how we were going to do that. Like I was depressed leading up into it. Um, it was really the, the loss of granted kind of like, I think was the heaviest part of it all. But just beforehand, you know, I was telling this to Aaron that I was like, I, are you sure you really want me? Because I don't feel that I am, that guy that you saw at Remars and that I can deliver what I did at Remars for you every fight. And he was like, I trust in you. I have no fear that you're gonna be able to pull off and be you in front of camera. So that sort of made me say, okay, I'll do this. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna commit and do it. Uh, day one was a little rough because I was still I still had to do my other job, which was know what was going on with all the robots and all the builders and what their strategy was, which usually what I'm doing is in between each fight, I'm out talking to them and figuring this out. But now I'm sitting ringside and don't have the ability to go converse with them and give Chris and Kenny all the information they need. So I was like really hating it on day one because I didn't feel I had enough data. And I just sort of had to retime my system to, okay, I'm going to get in at six. I'm going to go hit all the builders for the first session's fights and get all the thing, data I need from them. I had sort of built my own set of a Google Doc of what that fight card was for the day so I could get all my notes built and just be ready and then give all this to Chris and Kenny when we would meet at like 10 a.m. in the morning um, to sort of go through the first session 
and then I would do this again at lunch. Um, so I'd have all the same data, different data for new, new robots for the next session. But the thing I had to learn too was how to save a tidbit for myself. Because what's, what ended up happening in the show is two robots would come up and roll in and Kenny would talk about the benefits and the cons of each robot and what they might be facing of information that I've given them, of possible strategy, of new hardware that they might have done, um, of changes they made to the robots or problems they might have had in the pits. And each robot would sort of be in the arena. And we, since we aren't doing the, um, uh, the team stands behind the robot inside the box anymore because of COVID restrictions, we were doing it as they were rolling up. Um, we now had all this time of sort of when the bots themselves would roll from the doors to their red or blue squares to fill. And during that time is when Kenny would usually talk about the technical aspects of the, of the bots. And then they would throw to me and say, hey, Pete, our bot whisperer, what do you know about robot X or robot Y? And then I would launch into some little special tidbit that I may have gotten from whichever builder it was about what changes they made or what strategy they're planning that, you know, the little thing that I wanted to say for myself. And that was, you know, that's how the new season has come about. That's super exciting. I am kind of upset to find out that they didn't immediately think of you for that role. It's um, okay. Don't worry about I it. I was following, like, I was watching that live. And, uh, you know, being an East Coast person watching that live meant that I was uh, up in the middle of the night by myself. Everybody <laughs> else in my house was sleeping. Uh, but I was following the, tr the Twitch, like, um, the Twitch chat. And after your segment, that was like the main topic of conversation. It was like, wow, Pete should be on the show. That's great. He did a really good job. Um, yeah. I think they also didn't want to lose my ability to do the other job. Yeah, for That sure. was the big deal is I was already doing this really crucial job that was helping out in making the show go. And that was, you know, keeping Chris and Kenny fully informed and lots of, there was tons of little things that I would just problem solve. And, you know, there would always be something that Greg or myself or Trey would have to go interface with and solve some problem. And I was also, you know, I'm still always part of in the very beginning, I re I help out with bot selection in robot. I look through who's applied and what robots I think are going to be good. And then as we come along, as we get closer and we've selected our down selected our robots, I'm calling the builders to talk about where are you? What's the reality of this? You know, I'm, I'm always been the, what is the reality of where that robot is in the pits right now? Okay. It's, it's got a giant hole in it and there was smoke coming out of it when it left the arena. When do you think they'll be able to have it up and running? And I could sort of have a look when, you know, when production might come over to a builder and say, well, how long is that going to take you? And they'll say, Oh, I'll be done in 20 minutes. And I'm looking in going, okay, well, that's their ESC that has to come out and the batteries are melted. Um, you know, that's a probably an hour's job. So no, it's not going to be a half hour. <laughs> like, come on, let's, let's do the reality math here. Um, so I did lots of those things that that's probably what they didn't want to lose. 
and were worried about if I was just doing the bot whisperer job on camera that I wouldn't be able to handle the other job. And like I said, day one for me was rocky. Nobody else seemed to notice it, but I felt it was fully rocky because I just didn't feel as prepared as I needed to be every morning. And after that, I figured out my groove and got it going. This wraps up the first half of our interview with Pete Abramson. Stay tuned for our next week's episode where we'll cover the second half. After the break, we'll return with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. Welcome back from the break. Time for Robots Around the World. This week, we travel to Japan, where the city of Takikawa is deploying robotic werewolves to scare away wild bears. The werewolves have red eyes, shaggy manes, and are motion-activated. When a bear walks by, the werewolf's head moves, and it begins howling from a soundtrack of 60 different terrifying sounds. There have been dozens of bear attacks across Japan this year, two of which were fatal. Since installing the robotic werewolves, the city of Takikawa has seen its bear sightings drop to zero. So this is really an instance of robots doing, you know, what what people shouldn't have to do. This is... This is this is not something I was familiar with before. I, I frankly didn't know that uh, there were ever bear attacks in Japan. And so the fact that now this is a, a problem that is solved with robotic werewolves. I mean, it's this is like, this is the best news of 2020. <laughs> um, so I looked this up earlier today. There's apparently 10,000 black bears in Japan, um, which is a lot. Uh, for you know a, re- a relatively small island, I guess you could say. Um, the population of black bears on Shikoku and Kyushu, Kyushu may be endangered or extinct, but everywhere else in Japan, they're apparently doing quite well. And apparently they are not afraid of people, probably, I guess, because the island is so popula- populated and there are so many of them on there, uh, which is why they have all these issues. But wolves are scary. The, this wolf is particularly scary because it, it looks like something right out of Spirit Halloween Store. <laughs> That's um, exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> Somebody bought a Spirit Halloween werewolf from Poughkeepsie, New York, and just shipped it to Japan and sold it to this poor Japanese city for probably $10,000. I mean, what they're really going to be frustrated when they find out that the robot only works one day a month when the moon is full. well that's about it for us today we'll be back in your feed next wednesday with part two of our interview with pete we'll see you then folks bye